Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Nagel. Well, since today we are looking at St. Teresa of Jesus, she referred to Jesus as his majesty or your majesty. So I thought we'd start with a a reading from Revelations 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw the heavens opened and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True. He judges and wages war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame and on his head were many diadems. He had a name inscribed that no one knows except himself. He wore a cloak that had been dipped in blood and his name was called the Word of God. The armies of heaven followed him mounted on, a white, on white horses and wearing clean white linen. And out of his mouth came a sharp sword to strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod and he himself will tread out in the winepress the wine of the fury and the wrath of God the Almighty. He has a name written on his cloak and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Gracious God, I do ask your blessings upon us today that we might really be good and faithful subjects and servants and again, warriors in the, for the kingdom and that as Teresa of Avila was. So bless us with these grace and blessings we ask through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Nagel. And I know that today is a feast day. I'm guessing this is probably somewhat special for you, Father Nagel, with your great love of the Carmelite tradition and of St. Teresa of Avila. Yes, that's true. Am I correct in that? Yes, it's true. I preached on her this morning. Oh, that's beautiful. So so today we do have 14 quotes. We're going to get through about three of them. Uh, (laughs) Oh, a record. I just set myself up for that. I feel like I'm a setter in volleyball, and you just came in, and you just spiked the ball right down into the ground there, Father Lewis. Thank you for that. And because you did that, I'm going to put you on the spot, oh. as I said. In Jesus' holy name, put you on the spot. Um, it, and it's actually, it's not quite on the spot, but um, the Carmelite tradition, especially with St. John of the Cross and St. Uh, Teresa of Avila, um, were two that advanced in very beautiful ways and profound ways this idea of the spiritual life as involving a threefold way. These three stages, these three ways, the purgative, illuminative, and unitive ways, um, uh, as spelled out in their writings, have been incredible guides for people who want to grow in their spiritual life. Do you know where this is going, Father Lewis? Can you I, tell? I think so, yeah. Have a little bit of guidance here. <laughs> okay, so it has to do with last Sunday. So last Sunday, uh, Father Lewis gave a, um, a homily that was really a very um, rich teaching about this threefold way. And you did it by linking it to this figure of the young man in the Gospel of Mark. And so I'm going to first challenge you to give a literal one-minute summary of that, the idea of this rich young man in the threefold way. But I want to actually open it with a conversation around, like, how do you prepare a homily? What do you, what do you uh, Father Nagel, what do you, Father Lewis, do to when you read scriptures and then you come up with like thoughts and inspirations and research things out and uh, I'm really interested in that and I'm, I bet folks listening probably haven't had a lot of um, you know insight into what priests do to prepare the homilies that they give so that's the question that we're leading towards but before we do that again the challenge was one minute <laughs> summarize what you said around this figure of the young man in the Gospel of Mark and relate it to the to the threefold stages. And we, we can break it open more, but okay. I, I, I would like it brief, if you will, because we do have my so best. much to cover. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the, the theory is, uh, the proposal I offered is that in the Gospel of Mark, there are three times when an anonymous young man is uh, comes into the scene. The first is... The rich young man says, what, must, what more must I do to attain eternal life? And Jesus tells him, go so to have and give to the poor. The second is the man who was stripped of his cloak and ran off naked when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the third, um, unlike all the other Gospels, where at the empty tomb there are angels in St. Mark, it is said that it is a young man wearing a white robe. And so I propose that the rich young man, that's the purgative stage. He needs to continue to divest his life of anything and everything that may impede his progress toward growing closer to God. And then when he's stripped of his cloak and runs off naked, I propose that was the illuminative way because now he is seen fully as he is. And, um, and as St. Paul says, I shall know fully as I am fully known. But still, that's great progress, but still it is like God is there and I am here. and We're kind of looking at each other. 
And then the unitive, when the rich young man is wearing the white robe, washed in the blood of the lamb, as we heard in the book of Revelation, and he is in the tomb, the empty tomb where Jesus should have been, but is not there. Instead, we have this young man kind of sitting in the place of where Jesus is. So, you know, have they attained to such a degree of unity that now he is where Jesus uh, should have been, was expected to be? How was that? Was that, that 40 was, seconds? That was amazing. Oh. <laughs> that was really, really well done, Father, Father Lewis. Well, first of all, Father Nagel, I, like, I was, like, I was I, I, sitting, leaning forward, taking this in uh, when you were preaching it last, uh, last week, Father, thinking, ah, this is really, this is very rich. It's, it's beautiful. It's profound. And I had never heard that before. And Father Nagel, have you ever heard that before about these, like the, the figure of the young man in three different instances and linking it to the to the threefold way? No, I have not. I think, as you say, it's it's very interesting and rich. I, I had not heard of that before. Yeah. So, uh, and you made that up, Father. You got that in prayer, Father Lewis. Yeah, you know, it was just infused knowledge. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Straight it's very Trucer of Avalon. Trucer of Avala, like however you say that. Um, but then I actually had said to you, Father, after Mass, I said, where did you get that from? And and then that just sort of leads into the question of the richness of a homily. Where does that come from? How do you, what do you do to prepare for a homily? And then in this particular instance, um, like what was the source of insight? You then made your own and then shared it with others. Uh, so in, in general, my uh, approach to homily prep, per, particularly for the Sunday homily is, you know, the Sunday previous, after the weekend is done and, and I've preached so I don't muddle my, my, my brain and my soul with competing thoughts from the Gospels, but I will have uh, printed the upcoming Sunday's uh, readings, the first, second in the Gospel. Really? On, on, the sun, on that actual Sunday? You're not, like, tired from all the, like, service? Like, <laughs> no, sincerely. Like, I think, like, Sunday would be the day you'd probably be the most exhausted as a priest. Well, um... Well, maybe for uh, other priests, I, t- I tend to be uh, very extroverted. So the more I'm surrounded by people and engaged in what I'm doing, I, it's very hard for me to go to sleep at night on Sundays, actually, because I'm with people all day, it seems. But I may or may not sit down with them that day to pray with them, but I, I have them in my, in my pocket starting that day, and I keep it with me all week. Um, I perpetually have a key, uh, c- cluster of three-by-fives in my breast pocket, my, sh- my clerical shirt for writing down notes and things, and I'll just... Include that with it, and um, now hold on. This is actually really interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. I never, I've never even heard that before. So you keep the readings with you, and you have these note cards with you and a pen. Yeah. Now you do know on a phone, there's like a notes app. <laughs> well, you, you know, click on that, and you can just speak it in, right? This is not your way. <laughs> no. Your, your no. You tell him, Father Lewis, there's no need for that phone. There's no need for that phone. So yeah. I, I like that you actually have. You, and there's proof, folks. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at Father Lewis, and he actually pulled out of his. Uh, breast pocket, some three, three by, by five, five notes, and a pen. Yeah. Now I, I'm a little bit sad to say, so far there's nothing on those. So. Well, I'm not <laughs> preaching this weekend, so there you oh, go. Well, there go. <laughs> but you still have it with you. I love it. So that's for that. other notes too, you know, if okay. parishioners want me to ask, you know, would you please pray for such and such? I want to write it down, oh, and when wow. I go to my holy hour, I'll pray. I'll pray that intention. Oh, that's so yeah. interesting. And um, and uh, for other things too. So. Okay, so I, I do have the phone, but I mean, uh, technology, you know, I, I don't I, know. I, I actually really, really like that. I, I think I've shared with you that I, um, I've gone away from the um, online, like the, the smartphone-based apps for doing Liturgy of the Hours mm. to just making sure I have my, my divine office with me. Yeah. I, I just really like to hold the book. Yeah. And anyways, that's, that's me. But um, yeah. okay, so... Continue on, and then we're going to get to you, Father Nagel. Don't worry. There's going to be a similar <laughs> level of grilling, I mean, in, in, inviting to share. Yeah. So, Well, then, uh, yeah, so then starting, you know, Monday, Tuesday into Wednesday, I'm, I'm, I'm really just going to sit and, and read through and pray with the scriptures, but not really kind of um, uh, start, like, homiletic note-taking yet, but just kind of really Lexio Divina with it. And I'm, I'm kind of listening for the Lord to kind of help me to identify what might be a, a common thread or your, kind of your standard Lexio Divina, like what phrase or verse pops out to you. And so I'm writing it down or on, highlighting it in this case since I already have it written down and printed out. But, but then start to wonder, so reflect on that. Why did that pop out to me? And my approach to that, I guess, you know, on the surface, I kind of joke with people. I said it's very selfish, I realize, because if I... If I preach on what spoke to me in prayer, then I know at least one person is going to get something out of this homily, <laughs> and that'll be me. And so, you know, I want it to come from a place of prayer, and not just you know this uh, lecture. 
And then, you know, by the time we get to Thursday, Friday, I'm starting to piece together the connections maybe I've made from the readings, if I'm going to kind of make connections from all the readings. And in Saturdays when I sit down with all of that and I've got notes by then all scribbled on my homiletic, you know, by, um, the, the scriptures that I've printed out, and, I'll, and I reserve Saturdays as much as I can on the weekends when I'm preaching when I'm going to hash out the drafts and, and work the drafts and wordsmith it. I want to have it, I print a whole, I, I type and print a whole text, and I basically read from that, but I, I write it in such a way that it's natural for me to speak it. So it's like writing dialogue for a screenplay is, you know, one way to think about it. So it, if, I, if I can't pronounce that word as I'm preaching, I'm not going to use that word, you know. So um, now this particular homily on, homily on the rich young man, I'd actually been thinking about it since last uh, December because uh, uh, the Augustine Institute and the, and the president and, and uh, director, uh, Dr. Tim Gray, uh, on their website, form.org, had just put out a Lectio Divina video series on the Gospel of Mark. And so I said, well, we're entering into year B of the lectionary cycle, so Gospel of Mark, I'm going to watch this. And as these various ideas that kind of strike me come up in that lectionary cycle, I want to be sure that I'm... I'm ready, so I, th I figured it was a prep for year B, and um, and and he he said in the first uh, episode of that series, which is a really great series, he said that he did his doctorate dissertation on the Gospel of Mark, so he was excited to do this series, and it was from him where I got the idea that maybe the rich young man actually is the same character featured three different times. I don't quite uh, I don't quite remember if he attached that that character to the to the three stages of the spiritual life. But I think it was about that same time I was reading a book by, I think uh, the author is Ralph Martin, on, and it's called Fulfillment of, Des of All Desire. And that was a great lengthy but very accessible spiritual read on, on the three stages of the spiritual life. So I, I kind of just by the process of watching that series and reading that book kind of put the two together and said, I bet there's something there. And so I was kind of stewing on that um, off and on since last December, really. So that was the fruit of like that, that's eight your months. That's your remote preparation. Right? Yeah, And then yeah. you had the immediate <laughs> preparation. Yeah. That is, that's fascinating. So um, I, I'll, I'll stop the examination. You, you've passed, Father. You <laughs> oh, can good. read. Now let's, yeah. let's turn our attention to Father Nagel. So Father Nagel, you just heard uh, Father Lewis share. Um, love to get some insight from you about the, the kinds of things that you do as you're approaching a, a Sunday homily. Well, it's, uh, the approach is, I think, pretty different in some ways. Um, I like to be done. I like to be ahead of the head of the schedule. So, usually, I am prepared. I start to prepare for a Sunday homily the previous uh, ten days earlier, the Friday of the previous weekend. That's when I start to look at the scriptures, not for that weekend, but for the next weekend. And so, I'll, you know, again, I'll read those. Um, and so during the weekend, Friday, Saturday, or in Sunday, I'd like to have a, try to write a rough draft for the next weekend. So I'm, I'm kind of working, I am working on two in the same time in some ways. Yeah, uh, that actually makes me wonder. Like, do you, do you ever find yourself sort of colliding? Like, oh, wow, this is really great well, stuff. I could but, use but, that this weekend. Or, oh, my goodness, I'm going to so share this me, this weekend. And let me, the next weekend, I've got this other <laughs> stuff happening. So what it really happens, though, is so I usually have a rough draft by Monday um, that I'm happy with. I, I like it when I have a rough draft. And I've been praying over those three weeks. I, I have a, a few commentaries I like to look at. And then I don't, really, um, I don't really take the Sunday homily into my prayer hour, my holy hours. But I am praying and thinking about it all the time during Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and, and trying to get... I, I see things two ways. I say, okay, what, what point does God want me to make? And then how do I teach that point? Um, so, I, again, what's, what's going to be the, the point I want to get across um, that I think, yeah, again, that comes from prayer. Um, but then how do I illustrate it and how do I teach it in such a way that it's uh, understandable or memorable things? So, and that, there you might be, think about, again, common, you know, um, uh, contemporary issues or illustrations or stories or, or something like that to illustrate. But I, I try to get done by Monday. So, so basically I put it, to, I, I'm now comfortable and confident that I have something for the following Sunday by Monday. And so I'm, I usually look at that once a, once a day, I'll, I'll edit it. So I'm usually looking at seven or eight 
times uh, before I give it. So I kind of memorize it, but I haven't really memorized it, but I've, I've worked on it so much that I, ha I do take a, a script, uh, the full written out homily up to the ambo, but I don't always stick to it. Again, I'm pretty familiar with it because again, I've been looking at it every day um, for, the, for the week. And so I can, I can ad lib somewhat, and I can, it's, it's halfway memorized in some ways, not, not completely. Um, but I always do have a full text up there. So that's kind of my, so I usually, you know, it usually works and sometimes God says, you know, no, I'm not going to let you have that much time. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to give you anything until Thursday or something. That's uh, my, my uh, OCD nature starts to get a little upset, but um, trying to let that go. So that's kind of the, my rhythm um, of the whole thing. Father Nagel, if you're reading the text nine days before and you've got a draft on Monday and you're reading it every day, I'm sorry, but your OCD nature is actually quite engaged. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, Father Lewis is listening to this. He's nodding his head thinking, I will never do this in my entire life. <laughs> I can, what, I'd, it'd be horrible if I was trying to put together a homily on Saturday for Saturday evening. This I mean, is it. I horrible. think you were both cringing a little bit yeah. over each other's, yeah. like, approach. <laughs> like, Father Nagel, if we said, you are forbidden from pre prepping the homily until Saturday. And, Father Lewis, you have to have a draft done by Monday of the, previous, of the week leading up to that Sunday. I think there would be something inside of you that was just like a visceral reaction. Like, no, please, Jesus, no, this is not what you want from me. Well, I do um, think it points to, though, that every priest does it differently. Um, just like every author writes differently. Um, they have different styles, different rhythms and things. I, every priest does it differently. Well, and it's interesting because um, you're taught in the seminary something about homiletics, right, in terms of how to prep for... The, you know, the Sunday homily, the daily mass. Because we didn't even talk about daily mass, right? Because there are daily homilies yeah, to do as every well. Day. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we'll actually pick up on this theme when we get back. Uh, we're up against a break. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is uh, Tom Curran. I'm with Father uh, Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel. And um, we're talking about welcoming the Word of God into your life and let it come to birth. That, that's what homilies are. Hey, yeah. look at that. That sounds a lot better than me. This is Tom examining the priests on how they prep for homilies. It doesn't quite sound quite so inspiring. And judging them accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, here's the interesting thing is that so far, what have we learned? Your approaches are really uh, different and even divergent. Even though you're, uh, you're doing the same action, you're doing it in, fun, in really, really very different ways. And yet, you are, uh, each of you are... Very substantial homilists. Your homilies are substantial. I mean that very sincerely. I enjoy your preaching, Father Lewis. I get to hear it often. Uh, daily Mass, I mean, you have a written homily, and it is substantial. And then the Sunday homilies that I've heard, um, this, this Sunday was one example, but when you gave that series on the Eucharist um, late summer, very substantial. And Father Nagel, the times I've heard you, again, very substantial, thoughtful homilies. And so that's a gift that, that's, that isn't always um, expected or, um, or experienced by many Catholics. So I think that, first of all, even though there's that divergence of approaches, you both are bringing to bear a great gift in, in, the, in the homilies that you're offering. Um, but uh, just a, uh, a question around that. Uh, Father Nagel, you said, so, you said something in, in, uh, in passing around um, you go up there and you have that text somewhat already inside of you, and it's also in front of you, but then you will sometimes uh, divert from the text and go off in a, you know, in, in a way that's, let's call it inspired in the moment. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear a bit about that. Um, like, what, what is it inside of you that prompts you to say, oh, the Holy Spirit is actually moving me to go in this direction. It probably doesn't happen like that, like you don't have that little thought happen in your mind, but how does that happen? Well, sometimes I do. Um, it, 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 maybe not that. I, I may not be working it that out discursively, that, right? But but the thing, you know, again, it's usually an image pops in, or here's an illustration that I could use um, for this point, and it changes over the course of a weekend. You know, every time you get up, it's a little different, and you you kind of sometimes feel okay, that didn't work too well, or um, that seemed to fall flat, or whatever, and say I'm going to do that a little differently this time. Um, how could I how could I make that a little more clear? Or, you know, again, it's, it's, but I do think there's some, you know, element of inspiration there. It, it, because you do want it to be alive. You don't want to just be reading off a text. Um, and, and so 
you do have to just sort of give some room there to say, okay, this is not done yet. I've been working at it since last Monday, but it's changes a little bit every day. So there's no reason it can't change between Saturday night and Sunday morning either. Well, and I, I've seen that um, uh, in and heard that like when I've had a chance to like speak at masses for like a parish mission I'm doing, sort of the Saturday night mass is sort of the worst version. And then it's like it's too long or, oh, I left something. I, that shouldn't be added in. I should bring something else in. And then typically it's, you know, by the second or say by the third time it's delivered, it's probably in its best form. Yeah. I don't Is that, Father Lewis, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, about the inspiration thought, about kind of going with the spirit and then um, the times that you give it, do you notice a difference? Well, when I've had those kind of um, inspiration moments, uh, almost always it's in the form of like, you know, inject a bit of humor here. I've uh, heard from um, a, a Dominican priest who uh, spoke to our Spokane priest for um, some uh, uh, ongoing formation that we did a couple years ago that, you know, humor for the sake of, of humor, you know, you don't want to turn into a late night comedy hour, but, but humor has an effect on the mind that now the people are more relaxed again, and when they're more relaxed, their minds are more open and engaged and ready to receive, so you can put that humor in, and then you make your next point, and they're more readily to receive it. And and so that that's when I'll, if I have an inspirational moment, I'll kind of throw that in, and if it if it worked, then I'll actually edit the text and put it in so that I reuse it. And uh, But even then, I want to leave enough, um, enough wiggle room because... Um, I find that, you know, I have four masses at St. Mary a weekend uh, 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 for a Sunday, and it's almost like preaching to four different parishes sometimes. Each has its very own uh, character sometimes, and, you know, this 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 bit of humor just worked outrageously well at the 5 p.m. mass, and then I tried again the first mass the next morning, maybe even people half asleep, nothing, crickets. It's like <laughs> a failed comedian, you know, so got to kind of, uh, I got to kind of, uh, <laughs> gauge the gauge the pulse of the room, as it were, and uh, you know. But I don't often feel the inspiration to kind of throw in a, something of a more substantial or lengthy addition. Um, I suspect most because I don't trust myself. I've in Homilex class, you mentioned seminary. Like we were challenged to first, he just kind of let us go. What is what is kind of just coming naturally to you in terms of homily prep and homily delivery, where with was purely off the cuff or with some notes or with a full text. And then he challenged us to do like the exact opposite for one homily. And so I was just naturally gravitating toward having a prepared text. And so I had to give it off the cuff. It was terrible. It was just, just terrible. I cannot tell you. I was going off on tangents and never coming back. The plane never landed. It went, it was rerouted to the next continent. (laughs) You know, and, and that's, sometimes I can still do it. Like, interestingly enough, I know priests that they are very comfortable preaching off the cuff for Sunday Masses and weekday Masses, but they will always, always, always have a written text for weddings and funerals. And I am the exact opposite. I feel very comfortable preaching off the cuff for weddings and funerals, but I, I must have a text to keep me grounded for the, the regular kind of Masses. I don't quite know why that is, but it just, uh, it just feels comfortable. But anyway, yeah. Well, for me... I, I've got a, another follow-up question with you, but I want to give Father Nagel a chance to... Just sort of well, uh, that's re- interesting. respond to that and uh, just sort of share for yourself as well. I think for me, I keep a text. Uh, I have a text for my my Sunday homilies for a special reason. I mean, I don't use a text for daily mass homilies. I just, just, I just don't do that. But for me, to give a, not extemporaneous, but um, a, a, a homily without text, if I had to do that three or four times on a weekend, that would be energy draining for me. If it's Again, it's kind of, a, I think it's an anxiety issue, issue uh, thing where I, I have the text there. I don't have to think about it in between masses. I give no thought to my homily when I'm going off to my faith formation class or I go into coffee and donuts or something because it's, the homily is already there. Um, I don't have to try to re-engage that um, I don't know, I guess the creative juices that for each new homily that's for some reason, for me, that, that seems draining. But if there's only one time I'm going to give the homily, then I don't really need it to have written out too much in terms of like a holy days. But I would always have a written text for a funeral. Uh, not, I don't do a written text for a wedding. But funerals, I, you know, I always like to, I don't know, I'm just a little sensitive to how people are presented. Um, so I think that's part of it. 
uh, and I want to remember the family's names. I don't know, things like that. So I always have a text for funerals. So one of the factors that um, the two of you uh, brought up, fathers, is the community. Uh, so the, the assembly, that um, it is not only about your kind of preparation, spiritually reflecting, um, organizing, uh, scripting, and then delivering, but the intimate relationship not only between the Lord and you at work in that process, but the relationship between you and the community that um, one of the things I've found as a speaker that uh, when I'm giving presentations, I can give the same talk with uh, that same level of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually attuned, I, I have fresh energy and all of that. Like no difference in terms of sort of my dispositions and readiness, but the fundamental impact that occurs when the folks I'm speaking to are people of vibrant faith, expectant faith, alive faith. And I don't just mean excited. I don't just mean they're enthusiastic and they want to be there. I mean a people of faith that in those circumstances, there is very often a sense of, I'll use this word, anointing. This sense of there's a power that is at work. There is an ease, a flow, a dynamism that is at work in that moment that just feels like more of a black hole, a void, a desert, or it's much more dry. And I'm so tempted to almost force it. Like I've got to get more intense. I've got to somehow generate faith in the group that I'm speaking to. Okay, I just characterize something in a really like big sway. But I, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing, does that... Does that make any sense? Does that resonate with your experience of, of giving homilies or, or giving teachings? Father Lewis has leaned forward, so I'll, <laughs> I'll let you share first, Father. Well, if I, if, um, I'm kind of hearing that you know, our, our congregations are made up of a whole wide array of people with different experiences, different engagements with the faith and different levels of engagement, different knowledge of the faith. I mean, when I look out at St. Mary, if I see um, Dr. Tom Curran there in one pew, and I know behind me is one of my high school servers who may or may not pray each day and is possibly falling asleep right now, I realize I've got to find a way to, to preach that hopefully will engage both of those folks and everyone in between. And, um, and, and I think if I, if I overthought that, I would, just, I would be riddled with kind of just kind of crippled and paralyzed with anxiety and uncertainty. So it goes back to, well, if I preach something that speaks from my heart and my experience and that I would enjoy, then at least one person gets. So I go back to that. But uh, it, it is interesting, like, you know, if I give that some thought, like, you know, and some people will be like, you know, that was, that was a, a great homily and spoke to me in such ways. And, and then next week, you know, nothing at all from that person, but from another person, that was a great homily, spoke to me in so many other ways. And I remember, I think it was the second homily I've ever preached. I'm a deacon in seminary. I was in Washington, D.C. in a very um, wealthy parish, a large parish, and, and uh, the pastor invited me to, to preach that weekend. And, um, and I, I, I can't remember the, the larger theme, but um, I, I had decided I, I felt like I was being called to work in the, uh, the dangers of uh, proposing you know, uh, same-sex marriage. And at, at that time in Washington, D.C., I think it was on the docket for the district to legalize it or something. And after that homily, I was ripped a new one by someone who came after mass saying, how dare you be homophobic and all the rest of that. And, and I swear, the very next person comes up and says, that was the best homily I've ever heard. Keep preaching like that. And I was like, interesting. I gave the exact same homily. These two people heard it in the exact same mass. One hates me for it and the other loves me for it. And so, Welcome you know, to the gospel. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm not often mindful of the variance of the people in the congregation, but when I am, it, it, it presents a daunting challenge, I think. Father Nagel, what about you? I, you know, when you, what you said, Tom, I think it's very true. The idea of anointing is a good word, I think, too. Because I, an example that I would use is funerals and weddings. It's such a different feel when... You have two very faithful young people getting married, for instance, or you have, uh, again, a very faithful uh, matriarch or patriarch of, the, of a clan and stuff, and really embedded in the, in the uh, parish, and somebody who is really 
very close to Jesus and, and the family is too, and the friends are too. It's just a completely different experience than when that's not the case. Um, it's just, it's just a completely, you know, it's just completely different because the faith is there and people, um, they're looking for more and they're giving back more in terms of the preaching. And I would say in terms of that, I, I know when, when the Holy Spirit is using me in a particular way, when I'm giving a homily because of the way that the stillness that comes down on the congregation. Um, I know this is, I, there's other ones that, okay, this is going to be an effective communication. Um, I think people are going to learn something from this. Um, I know some that I think, this is not very good. Um, you know, I'm sorry. I, I, I think I did my best or maybe I didn't, but this is one that I'm sorry I have to give three times. And there's other ones where I think, you know, I'm giving it, as I'm giving it, I know, in fact, that everybody's listening to it and everybody's still, and it's, it's, Striking home, not because of me, but again, the Holy Spirit is working in a different way this way. So again, I, I think that's a very true experience. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't happen all the time with me, but I, I do recognize it and as a real thing. So, you know, it's, um, this is actually, this was in the Office of Readings today um, from St. Teresa of Avila, um, if you did that reading, um, where she talked about um, in the spiritual life, there are these moments of grace that when they reach you, everything becomes really easy. And yeah. there's just this sense of, I, she, did, she didn't use the word flow, but when I read it, it jumped out at me. And I was just like, oh, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Because uh, I was reflecting on this um, last week on Sound Insight. Like, why is it the case that it, there are times where I can pray four rosaries a day and fast and have cold showers and and and, and like, no problem. Like, this was the easiest thing ever. And then there are times when I can't even, like, get up and pray. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why is that the case? Like, there's just that natural level of um, just being uh, a person of godly habits with the signal graces, like the daily graces that God gives for us to be faithful to the duties of our state in life. But then there are these other periods where there's just this flow where things just like are so easy and it's like, you can't bank on those because <laughs> you don't have control or I shouldn't say, I, I can't, I, I, I'm learning not to take them for granted or make promises for the rest of my life when I'm in those moments of like really flowing with God's grace. So um, well, we're actually up against another break. When we come back, I want to just pick up on one other thread related to this before we actually get to our first quote on it. <laughs> On, uh, Father, Father Lewis, I think you're right. I don't think we're going to get to three quotes today on, on this beautiful feast day that we're recording uh, on the Feast of St. Teresa of Avila. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. And uh, just reflecting, I, it's really fascinating to get sort of on the inside of like what you priests are doing to like prepare for homilies and, and um, what's actually going on inside of you as you deliver these homilies. And so that idea of um, like being open to the spirit, right? And just like going with that flow. Um, I, I just find that really very interesting that um, like there's the, what, there's grace and, and nature, right? There's the, mm -hmm. the uh, what, the catechism says that prayer involves, um, prayer is always a gift from God and requires a determined effort. It's always a gift from God and requires a determined effort. I feel like that's probably like giving a homily, yeah. right? It's a gift from God, but it also requires a determined effort. Um, okay, so sort of a vulnerability question here. Do you ever pray to become a better preacher? Do you ever pray to become a better homilist, that God's word would be more impactful as you, as you, um, as you do that? And because I know I pray for, I pray for priests and, and for deacons, that they would be uh, anointed homilists. But do you ever pray for that? Um, I, I do, uh, I, I, not frequently, but I do when uh, maybe someone's uh, uh, feedback on a Sunday about a homily, um, uh, you know, maybe, you know, not an ad hominem attack, but, you know, they, they took exception with maybe oh, some... Do you get a lot of feedback? Do, do, like, do, like, let's say on a, like, how many times uh, a month do you have someone say to you after a Mass some comment about the homily? Um, probably several times, I think, you know, what I call it, uh, you know, necessarily helpful feedback. I don't know. They might say, uh, you know, 
I swear one time someone said great homily, Father, and I was like, oh, the deacon preached this weekend, so <laughs> they got Exposed. something from it. But, you know, so I get, I get that sometimes. But um, maybe a couple times a month, something of what I might consider a more substantial nature where they'll say, I really appreciated, um, you know, how you said this and it seemed to speak to me here. Or sometimes the negative feedback is like, you know, you said this and, you, you know, you know, whatever the uh, objection may be. And, uh, and it's those times I'm like, you know, I want to, um, if I'm preaching the truth as the, as the Gospels have it, as the Church teaches it, uh, I, I can't, you know, I'm just offering it. And the, the, the truth, like the sword, uh, will divide. You know, uh, sharper than a two-edged sword is what Hebrew says of Scripture. And Jesus says, I come not to bring peace, but the sword so if I'm just saying the truth and it divides or it rubs someone the wrong way, like, I don't really worry about that. But if I, I do, like, introspect, I think, you know, was it my presentation of that truth? Did I use a phrase that was needlessly incendiary or was somehow a block? It's in those moments when I will pray uh, for the grace to just help me to be a better preacher. And I'll take, I'll take back that text of that homily if I got that maybe Saturday vigil. I'll workshop it some more and say, okay, so what? Maybe let's just give this a really fine tooth comb kind of run through again. And can I alter some of the language in a way that the truth still gets across, but without the blockage of these maybe phrases that were um, that were not well received? That's when I especially ask uh, for a grace to be a better preacher. Well, Nigel, so those both of those questions, you pray about um, being a more powerful or, or more anointed homilist and. Um, what about feedback? How often do you get feedback, and how do you relate to that? <laughs> um, in terms of the prayer, I, I think that's one of the main ways I relate to the Holy Spirit is in the terms of preaching. So I, when I – actually, this is kind of developed, so it's not quite as true as it used to be. But um, in terms of um, my re- relationship with the Holy Spirit, oftentimes it is centered around me as preacher. Um, and I do ask um, for the grace of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in that way. Um, for for preaching, I don't think it's like for. It's it can be in terms of individual homilies, like especially if you know, Lord, I don't know what to preach. You know, <laughs> inspire me. Um, but in terms of just general prayers of the Holy Spirit, I think that's one of the the, the topics in terms I turn to, and uh, I, I see him and I see the Spirit in terms, of, especially in terms of my uh, role as preacher. Um, and I think in terms of of feedback, it really it does depend upon the topics. If you if you preach about any of the sensitive topics of sexuality, reproduction, or any of those kind of um, you know all those all those things, uh, you you know the list of them. Um, you do have to. I I do want it to be true. Um, I do also want it to. I don't want. I want people to be able to hear it. And so, I, not to intentionally insult, not, not to be incendiary, as, as Father Lewis says, but simply in a charitable way to, and, and usually try to present the other side, so to speak, in a honest way, you know, as Aquinas used to do, make sure, you're, make sure the opponent's words are, are legitimate and an honest presentation of the argument. And, and so to give them that sense of, okay, um, the world and, and many of those in it would, would say this, and this is the values they're coming from, and this is what they hope to, to gain by this. So you, again, to acknowledge that, but then to go into what the church teaches. You do get, I've never had any uh, reactions more negative, or, or at least for both probably, than these, the really fraught issues of transgender and uh, uh, Homosexual marriage. I mean, those are the in my in my time as a priest. Those have been the, but you know, again, the uh, abortions, one, uh, these sorts. Of, I just preached about human sexuality um, two weeks ago at my new parish. You know, and and not a lot of negative feedback. Some positive, but I. But again, I think I try to present it in such a way that okay, here's the good that the church is preaching about. Here's what I. Here, here's why we we preach what we preach about. But it does, it does happen. Um, in in terms of other negative, you don't get too much negative otherwise. Uh, usually if it's just boring, they're not going to tell you it's boring. Um, if, if they got nothing out of it, they're just not going to say anything. But you t- even in those sort of non-social issue homilies, you can sometimes, you, you, you touch people, well, the Holy Spirit does, and they'll come up to you and say, you know, that was, that was really necessary for me to hear, good, et cetera. 
I, I think people, they don't, for the most part, they're not trying to destroy you or, you know, it's, it's, it's when you touch a nerve, they, they might react, but they're mostly pretty good in terms of just trying to give a charitable, uh, I think, I think if anything, they, they go over, as, as Father Lewis said, they, they tend to be more charitable than they feel as opposed to more negative. Uh, they probably say good homily when maybe it's pretty average. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a horrible thing for me to try to receive that feedback. It's, it's good. So it's interesting. Uh, a few quick thoughts. The first was um, you mentioned the Holy Spirit is uh, like it, in terms of developing your personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. It was done in relationship to preaching. And I, n- I hadn't really thought of that, to be honest with you. But there is a way in which fundamentally preaching is an act of um, docility, being willing to be yeah. led into whatever message the Lord exactly. has for you to speak. Um, I, that's really that's powerful. I'm going to be I'm going to think more about that, reflect more on that. Um, when I think about um, the opportunities I have to speak, um, one of the most natural ones is like right here now on the radio. And so I've always gravitated to the um, the image of I'm the microphone and the Lord Jesus is the voice. And so it, it, that idea of saying I want to be an instrument, like literally here's a piece of technological instrumentation that is conveying a voice that uh, lets a voice be heard. And so, um, you know, we're on Sacred Heart Radio Network of stations. And so I'm like, Lord Jesus, may your heart, the beating love of your heart, be made manifest through my voice. And please, uh, you, Father Lewis, said, get rid of the blockages. Get rid of the blockages that are stopping the Lord's voice from that sword that can slice through. That, that's how I pray about it. I pray about it and say, Lord, please, whatever else happens in this program, may your voice be heard. May they hear the word of God through my words somehow. Do it work with my words, work through my words, work around my words, and work despite my words. Mm-hmm. But somehow let your word come, be, come, uh, come forth. Uh, like, I want to be the microphone. Please make me a microphone. So you're nodding at that, Father Lewis? Uh, yeah, not I, nodding off. Not yeah, nodding off, okay. not nodding off yeah. I, yeah, I I, uh, I I like I, I pray that the Lord, you know, just uh, just uh, I want to decrease. You need to increase. Saint John the Baptist said that uh, John three thirty, and you know, despite the words and around my words and all that, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, I I hope for that too. You know, Amen. I just thinking about that though. I I've had some kind of like the opposite experience. I just just talk about in terms of when I don't think I'm working with. I'm not the microphone. I'm trying to put my own message out there. That. And again, you've, told, you've learned my style of presenting. There's sometimes there is a Thursday. I'm I'm a Thursday before the weekend or Friday, and I realize something tells me this this the Lord wants me to preach about this other topic. Um, I prepared topic A. It's not very lively. I don't, but I like it because it's done. But there's something else has happened, and I need to. I mean, feel I'm feeling I need to push push and and preach about topic B. And if, ever I, if I let myself t- sort of change everything and do the extra work and go to topic B, it's always a better idea. Um, because again, I, I can block that. Um, I can make my own desires and message. I can, again, I say, I'm gonna, I, I got an idea, I'm gonna do it. But it's lifeless. Um, so anyway, I, I, it's, it's, that's a, that the Holy Spirit's inspiration is something that, that works. In the, and you have to agree to it when you, or not, but, but you're being challenged saying, oh, you know what? I don't think this is what the Holy Spirit wants me to preach. He wants me to preach something else. But that's going to be either more challenging, people are going to not like it, or I have to do more work. Um, so that's a, a, rea- a reality sometimes. Not often, but sometimes too. I love that. I, it actually... Um prompts another question in me, but um, we'll get to that after we acknowledge our sponsors one more time on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis and reflecting on uh, with them on their own preparation for homilies, and that's just opening up a whole broad range of topics today. Fathers, I, when I think about like the themes we're talking about, these are so relevant to anyone living a life of faith, right? We're all called to be microphones for the Lord in our own daily lives, in our own families. We're all called upon to know how to not just speak the right message, but do it in the right way. You know, um, I've heard someone say, uh, this very profound Carmelite was sharing about the prophetic role of 
preaching, and he was saying that one of the roles of a prophet is not just knowing the truth that people need to hear, but knowing how much of the truth people need to hear and serving up that amount so they don't get overwhelmed by the truth. And I think that um, sometimes that can be a frustration for a mom, a dad, for a, a witness living the faith out in the world, that when we speak the truth, why aren't people getting it? Why aren't they just responding? Why aren't they just saying, you know, you're right. I'm going to change my behavior and I'm going to start voting in a pro-life way. Or, and, and what can happen is frustration can lead to intensity. Frustration can lead to anger. Frustration can lead to, let's say, inelegant ways of witnessing to the gospel of life. And that, for me, can be one of the challenges as well is how do I remain in like in God's grace when I have a message that as it at least is living in me is so important that of course when I say it you're going to receive it as so important and you're going to take action in accord with the way that I think you should be taking action right now because that's the right way to take action right now does that have any relevance to you Father Nagel as I share that kind of um, like that kind of reflection about I think that many, many people listening to this, that they face in their daily life. Do you see a relevant application to that in your own pastoring I, I, and in preaching? I do. I, you know, how I would say it is you have to, you know, every you're a baseball fan. A pitcher has to have different pitches. You know, you have to mix it up. You can't preach about the same thing all the time, and you have to know when the timing's right for this homily. Um, and, you, and you also have to put it in such a way, as I said before, that they can hear it. Um, if you, you can say it's a way that would give you the most satisfaction because you could really slam them or something, but are they going to be able to listen to this or are they going to shut up immediately? They're shut their ears down because you've approached it in such a way that you're the problem and they're not even going to listen to the message. And so I do think that it's, and sometimes again, you, that means I don't, tell, I don't speak about this yet. I have to wait or I'm going to talk about it in this way, but not all that way. And so, again, it can be frustrating in the sense of, okay, there's a timing, and some maybe this is slower than I want. But, again, they're human, and you have to uh, approach them in a way in which their humanness can receive the message. So I, I think there's a lot of, it requires a lot of wisdom and sometimes humility just to say, you know, okay, I'm just going to, um, they're not ready for this yet, but I eventually, I, I eventually still have to get the message across. What about you, Father Lewis? Um, when I would uh, sense that, you know, I'm giving you this message and whether it's homily or faith formation talks or individually and, and uh, boy, you just, or confession, you know, <laughs> some people are more frustrated themselves than I am with them that, Father, I keep coming back and confessing the same things. Why am I not getting it? And, um, and uh, you know, I, I used to, uh, I think early in my priesthood I would get angry and frustrated, but increasingly I get just kind of sad, like, you know, Sad that maybe I'm not saying the right words yet, or at the right time, or in the right way for them for it to finally click, and, or sorrow that, man, this if only you if only you would get this, or if only you would act on this, the the, the light you're going to see at the end of the tunnel on the other side of whatever it is that you're dealing with, and um, and that they are deprived of that uh, for whatever reason, kind of fills me with sorrow, but then also hope like you know I'll. Maybe I'm laying a seed. I'll try again later, or someone else will pick it up after me, and and they can finally hear it. For example, like trying to for example, like trying to promote vocations. You know, there's some guys I'm just. You do promote vocations. I do. You don't try. Yeah. You do. I, I, so. You know, with some guys, it's still trying. I. <laughs> but I'm like, man, if only you could see it. Like, you know, they'll describe where they're at. And I'm like, you are where you are right now is exactly where I was then, and I'm trying to tell you. Just try the seminary. You'll, you're going to figure it out. I guarantee it. And, oh, you know, it's like trying to open a door that something's blocking on the other side and you can't force it. You're just going to break the door. And maybe it's not my place where they're finally going to hear it. Just trust that someone else might be able to speak it in just the right way that it finally clicks. And that's just one example. But, but any, anything like that, I just like, I really, I really think that you'll, you'll dig it if you'll just try it. And, uh, but I, I can't force it, you know. <laughs> well, and it's um, and trust me, parents get this, right? It's like um, I want to, like, I'm a steward as a parent. I'm a leader, provide, protect. I'm here to shepherd my kids, but I can't control them. I can't control them. Um, parents get it. Kids are out of control. No, I'm just. But the <laughs> idea of 
No, they have their free will, and especially as they get older, they hit their teen years, they're, they're um, young adults, they have their free will, and it's like you can pray for them, you give an example to them, you speak into their lives, you can offer correction, but at some point they have to engage. And um, I think for me, this is where that virtue of hilaritas, hilarity comes in, not taking yourself too seriously. And the way that my philosophy professor, who is a holy priest of God and my spiritual director, um, he said it was this. He said, Tom, don't take yourself too seriously, but take, and don't even take God seriously, but take seriously that God takes you seriously. <laughs> and I'm like, what a great, like, G.K. Chesterton kind of, like, flip of the phrase. Yeah. Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't even take God too seriously, but take seriously that God takes you seriously, meaning you have that free will. You've got that space to act. He's asking, seeking, and knocking. And, and he is going to provide the graces to step forward. And so give God room to move. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, Father, uh, Father Nagel? Well, I, I think that's, that's kind of getting back to the whole idea of a living homily. Give, do not be, get so caught up in what you want to say. Give the Holy Spirit room to use you in, the, in that way. So... I agree. I think that's a it's a beautiful thought to say, you know, again, Lord, I'm, let me give you room in my life. So, Father Lewis, uh, we have a minute left, so you have a chance to, to bring us home. Well, we didn't get to St. Teresa. That's a good place to start. <laughs> well, not just because we discerned up. the Holy I feel Spirit. Exposed now. Ah, we the discerned whole, we the Holy Spirit to... wanted us to go something That's else. right. That's right. Thank we gave you, room to the Holy Nagel. Spirit you just, today. You just rescued me. I appreciate that. <laughs> and St. Teresa forgives us because she'll always make room for God, of course. Well, um, you know, uh, gosh, I don't know what to say beyond that. Uh, uh, I would just ask, you know, for people's prayers. You know, pre- preaching may look like, boy, it's just you know, the same things in and out. You know, it must be this is all you do, Father. But, like, <laughs> we're trying to run parishes. We're trying to run schools. We're trying to do spirit direction. We're trying to do all these things. And all of our parishioners are before us every Sunday, and that's where we got to encounter them all at the same time, and you're in a variety of different places. So please pray for uh, priests, bishops, and deacons, all who are preaching Sunday Masses. It's uh, there's a lot more to it than uh, meets the eye. Well, and I think today really unfolded that in, in a really powerful way. Father Nagel, 15 seconds. I agree. Pray for us. Um, and, and pray to be able to listen to what God wants you to hear from the homily, even if it's not what you would want. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I think that if we, were we the laity, were less critical and more prayerful for our priests and for our homilists, so deacons too, Um, I think that there would be a greater anointing and, frankly, a greater receptivity on our part to actually be able to hear God who is at work through you, the homilist. So thank you, Fathers, for sharing so openly about your own practices in association with homilies, and and it really opened up a beautiful conversation. All right, folks, thanks for uh, walking with us through this program today. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.